Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to the next 90 minutes of Prophecy Today. That's right. I need 90 minutes. If you'll give me 90 minutes, I'll give you six of my broadcast partners around the world that will give us the details behind the headlines that we are reading. That's very important, I do believe, because many times journalists across the world will slant a news story in their philosophical understanding of what happens in this world. They have a different worldview than my broadcast partners would have. I'm going to prove that because right now I'm going to bring to the broadcast table Ken Timmerman. Ken's an award-winning journalist and international journalist. He's a best-selling author, and he's a good friend of us here at Prophecy Today, one of our broadcast partners. And Ken, let me begin. I know that there is concern across the world, and in particular across the United States of America, with the fact that Congress has certified Joe Biden as the next president, and President Trump is pledging an orderly transition after all that took place in the Capitol on Wednesday. Just give us your thoughts about what did happen and what lies ahead with a Biden administration. Well, first, Jimmy, let's start with the facts, what actually happened on January 6th, not what you're hearing from Democrat leaders or from Joe Biden. Uh, the president gathered close to a million supporters in Washington, D.C. You could see the video of that. They went all the way from the from 4th Street uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, more than a mile and a half uh, past the Washington Monument. It was packed bumper to bumper, so to speak, shoulder to shoulder. It was an enormous crowd, entirely peaceful. The president gave an electrifying address that I think people will be remembering for years as he laid out the evidence of how the election had been stolen. The people are angry about that, and they are right to be angry about that. And then he said, let's march down peacefully to the Capitol. And they did. And for quite some time, they hung around outside of the Capitol building until there was a small group of largely Antifa provocateurs who scaled the Capitol building. They had scuffles with the Capitol Police. You could see that. They outmanned them. There were more of these Antifa agitators. Uh, I won't call them domestic terrorists because I think uh, the Democrats are using that term against all of the Trump movement. We are being labeled domestic terrorists. So I'd like to kind of scale back that rhetoric a little bit. But these people were agitators. We've seen them operate in this country for the past year. These people operated a false flag operation. Their goal was to shut down the examination of the electoral count led by Vice President Mike Pence and the Congress, and they succeeded. So instead of many, many hours, perhaps two or three days, of examining the evidence of election fraud by the Congress, it was shortened to just a couple of hours, and then the vote was taken to certify the Electoral College votes. So this was a tremendous false flag operation. It was a huge success. The Democrats were successful in it. And now what they're trying to do is to delegitimize President Trump and the 74 million people who voted for him. And that, I think, is a grave danger to our nation. And I was really uh, disheartened to hear that uh, despicable speech from President-elect Biden, where he basically castigated all Trump supporters as being domestic terrorists and said, well, if uh, this protest 
he, he said the police had gone too easy on the protest. He said, if this had been BLM protest, we know it would have been very different. Well, excuse me, it was a BLM and Antifa protest, and the police were greatly outnumbered because the mayor of Washington, D.C., told them to stand down. She did not want to have a big police presence on January 6th. And at the same time, around the world, reaction coming in. For example, out of Iran, President Rouhani is sneering at Western democracy. He is saying that it is fragile and vulnerable. Now, he needs to look at the American Republic and see what he could really say. Do you not think that would better be the case? Well, our Republic has stood for 240 years through thick and thin, a civil war, a very bloody civil war. I don't think we are close to a civil war now. I think that the 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump are not insurrectionists. They are not about to take up arms. We will go into a phase of political resistance. And I think we will look to our leaders in Congress. We're going to look to other people as well, because I think many of the Republicans in Congress have really disappointed the people. The speech by Mitch McConnell opening up before the protests began and the breach of the Capitol was announced, his speech basically calling off any kind of examination of voter irregularities and and saying there was no evidence of voter fraud was tremendously disheartening, I think, to the 74 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. Talk to me about what Iran is going to do in light of what they're calling a revenge for the killing, the assassination of Soleimani. Even during that day of January the 6th, there was a threat that They could send in airplanes and to hit the Capitol and or the White House. But is this all subterfuge? Are they just bragging but not able to do anything? Will there be a revenge? I think there will be. And I think the Iranians are eyeing right now some form of attacks on Israel and on U.S. forces wherever they can find them in the Middle East. They know that a Biden administration will be weak. They know that President-elect Biden's Uh, announced advisors, Tony Blinken, for example, who is going to be coming in as Secretary of State if he is confirmed, and Jake Sullivan as National Security Advisor. These people were architects of the Iran deal. They have always been pro-regime, pro-Tehran regime. They do not see the Iranian regime as a threat. They see it as a potential ally, in fact, and have said so. So has Joe Biden. So I think the pressure is going to be off. Iran, the Iranian regime, and uh, it will be really up to Israel to defend itself. And I think the Israelis are quite capable of defending themselves. But just so we're clear about this, the United States government under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not going to be coming to Israel's defense when Israel is attacked by Iran. Well, the report we have, you talked about it with me before, that Joe Biden administration will renew that Iranian nuclear deal. My question then, if that would be the case, and should they do that, how long would it take Iran to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction? Well, this starts to get interesting because the Iranians uh, just recently announced that they were going to double the monthly rate of enrichment at Fordo, this underground enrichment site, hardened against ground-penetrating bombs, and they're going to be enriching uranium to 20%. Now, remember, 20% is 90% of the way to weapons-grade material. So once they get to 20%, it takes them a very short time 
to get to the bomb, probably one month, one and a half months, perhaps even less time than that. Now, they could have enough material at what we know publicly, but at the rates that they have publicly announced and the International Atomic Energy Agency has verified within three and a half months or so from now. Now, maybe they have another enrichment site. We don't know. All we know is what they have publicly announced, and from that data, they could have enough weapons-grade material in a couple of months for a bomb. And that could be very dangerous, not only for Israel, but for the entire Middle East, the European Union, and, of course, the United States as well. Well, the focus has been on Washington, what happened there on last Wednesday. But talk to me about the China threat. Is it real, and is it upon us right now? People not really focused on China, but maybe that could be our worst enemy in the future. You know, the um, outgoing uh, director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, warned Congress just weeks ago that China was our deadliest adversary, that China uh, was a determined adversary, and that China is infiltrating all phases of American life. The One of the last actions that President Trump has taken against communist China was to delist from the New York Stock Exchange three of their top financial companies. Now, apparently that has been rolled back for the time being, but he's doing that because China has infiltrated our capital markets. China has infiltrated our universities. They're paying professors. They're setting up their own programs, these Confucius Institutes all around the United States. And we know that China is buying American politicians. The most recent example and I'm not talking about Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, who have also been bought by communist China. I'm talking about Eric Swalwell, who's a member of the Intelligence Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. He was caught with this young woman, Fang Fang, uh, who, who apparently, she turns out to be a communist Chinese spy. And he uh, was at events with her. She was raising money for him. Apparently, they had a sexual relationship. And he's just saying, I won't talk about it because it's still classified. Well, nonsense. He's been compromised. Forget the classified part. So, yes, China is an active threat to the United States. They were determined to get rid of President Donald Trump because they saw him as the first U.S. president who actually stood up to the infiltration of communist China, who called them out for releasing COVID on the world. And regardless whether you think China manufactured the virus intentionally or not, it is undisputed that they released it to the world uh, from Wuhan uh, through international commercial flights while they restricted uh, people from Wuhan from traveling inside China. Uh, so China is a threat. They definitely want to get rid of Donald Trump. And I hate to say it, it looks like they've succeeded. Indeed, that does look like it is the case. I've been a China watcher for a long time, and basically because God's Word talks about China, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. We'll get to that when I take a look at the book, but we're going to continue to keep our eye on China and all the other geopolitical events unfolding in this world that may be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and we'll do that with our dear friend and great broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Ken, thank you so much, my good buddy. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He'll come to the broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, not this weekend, but next weekend, we're going to Calhoun, Georgia. We're going to be in that area at a local church. I'll give you more information about that momentarily, but want you to make your plans Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in the Calhoun, Georgia area. Looking forward to teaching the prophetic word of God. Come join us if you're in this listening area as we study the word of God at the beginning of the year. It's a great time to look at projections into 2021, not from my ideas or my philosophy, but from the Word of God and what it has to say. Well, as I promised, we're going to have a Middle East news update, which is a key report for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, comes Mike's side to join us for this Middle East news update. And David, the United States and Israel are preparing for Iranian revenge because of the assassination of Soleimani and, of course, the taking out of the top nuclear scientist. What can you tell us about what Israel is doing preparing for that possible revenge attack from Iran? Yes, Jimmy, indeed, with President Trump conceding the election and definitely leaving office, there's a sense that Iran may well strike in the next few days because, of course, they want to send the message to Trump, who ordered the strike against Soleimani as opposed to Biden. They're doing some active things, Jimmy. On Thursday, they dropped leaflets over southern Syria, warning the commander of the Syrian 112th Brigade, which is based there, to stop collaborating with Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed Lebanese 
Hezbollah group that's operating in the area and to stop hosting other pro-Iranian militias in the area. And that came after they launched another airstrike against pro-Iranian positions in Syria. That's the third strike in 10 days two of them near Damascus and another further in the south, close to the Golan border. And the Syrians said that eight of their soldiers were killed in one of those strikes. So there's a sense that there could be something at any time and that Hezbollah would be possibly the spearhead of that against Israel. So they're on full alert for that possibility. Yes, I've heard that the Iranians are warning the Israelis that Lebanese and Gaza proxies, that would be Hezbollah, as you've mentioned, and Hamas there in the Gaza Strip are ready to take down, level to the ground, Haifa and Tel Aviv. Now that sounds pretty braggadocious. Do they think they really can make that happen? And Israel, of course, prepared for that, are they not? They are, Jimmy. That's been the threat that they've made over the years. They a number of times said they would hit uh, Haifa in particular, Of course, Hezbollah has a huge rocket arsenal, precision-guided rockets that could accurately hit that area, and the concern remains that they would strike the petrochemical plant there and release deadly poisons, so in effect it would be a chemical attack. And again, Jimmy, with the power vacuum in Washington, with the Americans obviously preoccupied with the situation at the Capitol and that whole uh, thing, There's a feeling that uh, Iran may feel this is the time to go and be emboldened to do that, thinking maybe the U.S. wouldn't be in a position to respond, at least not in the way that it would have done otherwise. So uh, full alert again, and they would expect there would be rockets from the south as well. And, of course, always the possibility that Iran itself will send its large arsenal, its drones and other things, It's surface-to-surface missiles from Syria and from Iraq into Israeli territory, so they're watching closely for that. David, talk to me about Israeli political leaders. Do they believe U.S.-Israeli relations are going to go down in flames with the Trump administration leaving the scene? I've been reading just uh, today, actually, some of the Israeli newspapers about that topic, and no, they're pretty confident that Joe Biden will be a friend of Israel's, he'll remain so, and that his policies will be fairly moderate. Uh, Chuck Schumer probably taking over the Senate. He is Jewish, but of course he's not been terribly pro-Israel. But there is definitely a feeling that the relations will be not nearly as strong as they were under President Trump, that they're anticipating, but some sort of a break or a turning away they don't anticipate unless Kamala Harris becomes president. That they fear the most, even though her husband is Jewish, the policies she would adopt would be much more in line with the squad and the anti-Israel things we've heard from them in the last several years. So that is their main concern, and they feel like the Democratic Party overall continues to move away from support for Israel, and that is concerning to them. David, I read a warning coming out of the Palestinian Authority. It's been used before, but I want to see how intense you believe this may well be right now. They're warning that Israel is planning to build a holy temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Is that a scare tactic, or are they seriously considering that a viable possibility? 
Well, I think they they look at the overall political situation in Israel, and they don't expect that would be something imminent. But as we've been talking about over the last several years, they're also watching the growing talk in Israel about rebuilding the temple amongst Israeli politicians. The new Likud member that uh, just joined the Knesset that's openly stating he wants to see that happen, and uh, more and more Jews going up there to pray. So it certainly is becoming more of a possibility in their view. I think the um, claim that it's about to happen or that they think it's about to happen is overstated. It's it's rhetorical mainly, but it keeps the focus on that issue for their people, and there's nothing that can rally the streets of the Palestinians more than Haram al-Sharif, the Temple Mount, and they know that, and they use that when they need to. And was not that the game plan for Yasser Arafat when he thought that he was losing? Just shout to the world that the Israelis are going to put a temple, the Jewish temple, on the Temple Mount. That was one of his strategies, was it not? Well, it was, Jimmy. And, of course, it not only rallies the Palestinian street, but it rallies the Islamic world. Uh, the whole Islamic world, basically. So, you know, if they want to boost their support from Indonesia, for instance, from Malaysia, from um, North Africa, and anywhere on earth where there are Muslim communities or countries, 56 countries that are Muslim-majority countries, that's a good issue to put forward, and they know that, and so they uh, use it all the time. But, But at the same time, I think they are genuinely worried that this is an increasing possibility, and uh, they don't like that thought at all. In fact, the Bible does tell us that will be the case, so that's very interesting that they're bringing this to the world's attention today. I read from an expert in Israel. He is a man who studies earthquakes and understands what's going on, uh, that there is a possibility for a 6.5 earthquake in Israel in the very near future. Now, I know that is a uh, earthquake-prone state, many earthquake fault lines there. What do you know about this story? Well, it has been something that they've been concerned about for some years, but, you know, the longer we go, it's like in California and other places, the longer you go without a major quake, the more likely one is coming soon. And that's what they're looking at. As you say, it's a very strong uh, area for earthquakes stretching from Turkey down into Central Africa, the Great Rift, where the Dead Sea is at the lowest point. And uh, there are government preparations all the time. The new building codes in Israel over the last 25 years have very much taken earthquakes into account. But at the moment, they're uh, more concerned about the coronavirus. It's again surging in Israel, nearly 8,000 cases yesterday. And the new variant from Britain has definitely arrived. Over 150 people have been diagnosed with that, and it spreads a lot faster. So that's their immediate concern. But Just a reminder that at any time that earth can shake, and uh, that can have all sorts of repercussions. And, of course, Jesus said there will be earthquakes in divers' places in the last days. More on that as I do take a look at the book a bit later on. One final thought for you, David. Seems to me that Israeli-European Union ties are improving 
warming up because of the Abraham Accords. That is a good indicator of something great going on now, but will it continue? They're certainly hoping it will continue, Jimmy, and as relations are expected to be not nearly so warm with the United States, Israel is looking around for other friends and allies that can help fill that gap, and uh, certainly the European Union is a major place they're looking for and trying to cultivate those relations as best they can. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update. Friends, if you are a student of Bible prophecy, you know that this is a key report on the key region of the world as it relates to the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. David's been doing this type of reporting for over 30 years. So glad he's a member of our broadcast team right here on Prophecy Today. David, thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week with another of your great Middle East news updates. Well, thank you, Jimmy, and the Lord bless. We're going to have to take a break. John Rood, there's another key region of the world. That's the European Union. He's the man, John, who reports to us the political activities as we watch the prophetic coming together. John will have his report in a moment right after the break here for the news on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Again, remember, I need 90 minutes to give you the world with my broadcast partners assisting us in understanding current events that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, at the end of this half hour, we're going to be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. We're going to be talking about the stars. Now, most of our reports are pretty serious. On this earth is what we're looking at, but I want us to take a look into the heavenlies and see the glory of the Lord in the stars that he has made. You don't want to miss that conversation. However, right now we're going to the European Union where we have a man who covers that for us living there in Brussels, Belgium for over 30 years. We're talking about John Rood. And John, let me get underway. I understand that Israeli-European Union ties are improving and basically because of the Abraham Accords. What can you tell us on that story? This is how it has progressed as we've been following this story through the months, that the uh, Abraham Accords and the U.S. deal that has been brokered in the Middle East has been very, very positive. 
the EU has always exclusively, nearly exclusively taken the Palestinian side. Now it's pretty clear that it's the Palestinians themselves that have backed out of the dialogue and the deal. And so the Israeli foreign ministry is having a lot of progress for the European diplomats to uh, understand there's a new paradigm in the Middle East that a number of countries are getting on board, particularly United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. So there has been a great deal of progress there. The EU foreign ministers even invited the Israeli foreign minister to meet, which hasn't been done. And there is also desire to bring back the EU-Israeli Association Council uh, between Israel and the European Union, which hasn't convened since 2013. Well, that's a good report, John, but uh, we know Bible prophecy lays out a scenario that uh, those ties are going to come apart in that seven-year tribulation period. Of course, we'll stay on top of the story until that does happen. Talk to me about China. We're all watching China these days. They've invested in the European Union, but it's raised some questions. What questions are we talking about? Well, China has brokered a deal with the European Union, which needs to be approved by the parliament. But many people are being quite critical, the government people in the European Union and elsewhere, since it places the European Union appeasing China After this deal was more or less brokered, there's been a new wave of arrests for pro-democracy demonstration and activities in Hong Kong. It's been a long road for China to get a foot in the door in Europe, and it appears that, of course, as we've seen before, that money plays a very big role on this, that uh, Europe is willing to take some of the Chinese actions in return for their economic benefit. And they're looking for a level playing field in China, but this will not happen. Yeah, and there is, I understand, somewhat of a renegade politician that's in the European Union. He says, I think his name, last name Farage, you can tell us about him, that the European Union is greatly involved in helping China to take over the world. Is that a viable possibility? Yes, uh, Nigel Farage uh, really spearheaded the entire Brexit movement. In the early days, I would go from Brussels to London for what were in England, they're called fringe group politics, relatively small groups. But just from that small room, 30, 40, 50 people actually began a movement which uh, led to the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. Nigel Farage has kept a very influential position. He was the founder of the United Kingdom Independence Party, and now he's basically a spokesman for the continuing views of those that have the United Kingdom view of leaving the European Union. He's been critical of the European Union's agreement with China, saying that the European Union is really uh, helping China take over the world. And so now, even though there's this great anti-democracy movement that is gaining a thrust in Hong Kong, the European Union is ready to go ahead with this deal, a $120 million trade deal. So it appears the European Union and China are willing to trade freedom and democracy to some extent for their economic benefit, as we mentioned. And this same man is saying that the European Union in 10 years will be gone. 
I mean, does he have any insight that uh, maybe you and I do not know of? Uh, Nigel Farage, I would uh, would pay close attention to what he thinks he's been right in the past. Milton Freeman had said, the famous economic professor had said that the euro would last 10 years. It lasts a little bit longer than that, but uh, then again, everything had a valid point. So Farage has pointed out the tensions in the European Union, which we've, we frequently have done that. East and West nations, North and South nations, rich or poor nations, Eurosceptic nations, those that favor integration. And in the UK, there's actually a movement saying that they should rejoin the European Union. And so uh, Nigel Farage, being quite quick on his words, said even if there was such a campaign, there may not even be a European Union to rejoin 10 years from now. That people have noticed now that they're in control, that it's gained a lot of momentum, and that other countries can now see the example, which we've also taken note of in past broadcasts, that other nations will take notice that they can have a Europe of free trade and not one that leads to political union. So we could see some other nations coming out on that level while other nations integrate into a political core. John and I would probably agree in 10 years there's not going to be 27 member states in the European Union. Possibility of 10? Absolutely. That's what Bible prophecy calls for. And we'll continue to stay atop of all of these stories, watching the political as they set the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, great report. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, and I'd love to listen to the report on the stars. Uh, I did studies in astronomy and physics at University of Arizona at one time. God created the heavens, and it's a wonderful study. John Rood with his European Union update, a key report for us here on Prophecy Today. John looks at the political activities happening in the European Union and how they are setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. I have a DVD documentary at my bookstore on my website, prophecytoday.com. It's entitled The End Times, and it is a documentary on the first four of the sealed judgments that are foretold in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. You need to see this because a part of this documentary talks about the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel. Iran will be a major player in that battle. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to my Prophecy Bookstore, and there you can make your purchase of the end times. Well, from the European Union political scene, we come now to the American political arena, and I want to talk with the Honorable Sam Rohr. Now, I refer to him as the Honorable because for almost 20 years he served in the Pennsylvania State Senate. He's the president now of the American Pastors Network and also the host of Stand in the Gap Today, both radio and television. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. And with that experience and background in leadership, what would you say about the events on Capitol Hill on January the 6th? 
Well, Jimmy, I think there's a couple of different ways to take a look at this. Certainly, when you have a million or more people, which is uh, what we're there. I mean, it's an astounding number, really. Um, and by all accounts, I was not there, frankly, but by all accounts of multiple friends of mine and others who were there and in that crowd, that was a crowd of patriots. Uh, they will say that the experience of being with people from almost all of 50 states came. They were there, and they were there to make a statement of support uh, and to say that the, the election the improprieties needed to bring forth and so forth, all appropriate, that's all uh, a good thing. But clearly within that group, again, I think the evidence is very clear of that, there were, um, uh, there were Antifa enemies of freedom that found their way into that group. And I think all that people who are listening right now would seen things to know that that's true. So embedded within them, I would say it's kind of like embedded within the 12 disciples, there was a Judas. Um, um, there were Judases in that crowd. Now, to the extent that they had something pre-planned, there are uh, indications perhaps that there were some interactions between some Capitol Police perhaps and them that permitted things to happen. Um, I, I, I don't know that for a fact, although I have gotten some contact, uh, direct communication from uh, a, a person who was a Capitol Police and um, did say that there were things that were happening there that uh, guys did on their own, and uh, therefore it would lead to this. But in any event, uh, we have a circumstance where the media clearly takes it and puts their spin on it and makes it look as if all of those people who were there, patriots, many of them Christian people, were in fact terrorists. They tried to take and make them look like they're the terrorists, they were the ones that were there to tear down the Capitol and make, uh, and make a scene. And I think that's just the exact opposite. But I put that in the context of what we've been hearing so much all this year. We are in a time of great deception. The media, that is the reporter of information, clearly has not been providing or reporting news as is. They've been interpreting it, shaping it, manipulating it according to the designs that they have, which are very clearly globalist and Marxist in view, so every Christian who is listening to the news and watching needs to be extraordinarily careful at what they walk away with uh, when they hear these things, because in most cases, what appears to be is not exactly what is. Sam, I was very disappointed with President-elect Biden's statement. It was not unifying to me. I do believe, do you think that he missed an opportunity to make a more unifying statement because he is the next president? Well, I'm going to be very blunt here. I do not think that Joe Biden, he's not yet president, he's Joe Biden, I do not believe that he has manifested any desire to be unifying, nor his running mate, nor those who have supported him. Rather, they have done everything they can through the policies that they say they are going to support, to the legacy of Donald Trump that they are going to immediately undo, to the uh, agenda that they have promised to follow, put forward by the secular Democrats of America, which is a, a, a roadmap for erasing the last vestiges of uh, Judeo-Christian principles and evidence in this country. He is on that kind of a path. So it does not surprise me uh, that he did not say anything unifying, and uh, yes, you are correct. He missed an opportunity, but I say he used the opportunity 
to further do what uh, they've been intending to do, which is to create division, not to uh, bring unity. As a former member of the, the Senate there in the state of Pennsylvania, understanding God's plan for human government, I don't believe this negates God's plan for what he wants to have happen in the future, do you? I think that is a wonderful question and application. Absolutely, it does not negate what God is doing. I think to the contrary, and I think that I think the Christian people across the world, uh, Christian patriots in America, uh, who love our country, uh, love our God, uh, understand what's going on, should do exactly what your program always does, and that brings people to the to the Scripture and says, "What does?" What do we know from the prophetical pages of, 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 of Scripture that can interpret for us what we are seeing? And I think to that extent, the fact that there is a chaotic sense that is happening, not only here, but around the world, the fact that you have an effort, a global effort, to force people, for instance, into the COVID vaccination, which is a very harmful thing, but to try and link it to people's inability to, to travel or to transact business. I mean, this is all right off the pages of prophetical scripture. And then everything that you talk about on your program, and we do on Stand in a Gap today when we give the, the regular Israel update, is to say, all right, get our eyes on Israel. And I think it's hard for I think it's hard for people sometimes to understand, as American citizens, we think that everything revolves around our nation. Well, certainly God has used this nation, almost like a golden cup in God's hands, to, to actually do great things in the communication of the gospel and truth and advanced technology. All of these things God has used this nation to accomplish. But at the end of the day, the eyes of God and the biblical pages of Scripture don't end up culminating around us as a nation. They culminate around Israel in the Middle East. And so I think all of these things, if they're taken in that context, allows all of us who know who God is not to be concerned, not to be stressed out, but to say, God is at work. There is a much bigger plan than what we can see. And ultimately, we look and we say, we know where it's going. And uh, frankly, in the midst of it, let's stand up and witness for the gospel, share the, God, the truth of God's word. We are in wonderful days to do exactly what God's put us here to do. Excellent response to the question, Sam. Thank you so much. That is our blessed hope, what God's plan for the future is and will happen. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Very important conversation with Sam Rohr, who is the president of the American Pastors Network, a serious look at the American political arena. Very, very interesting discussion with Sam. Well, I want to tell you what we want to do right now on the broadcast. Take our focus off of this world and look into the heavenlies. The book of Psalm, chapter 19, says the glory of the Lord is on display in the heavenlies, and in particular, when you go and look up at the stars. I want to do that because we need something to get us excited about what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do as we go through this program. Therefore, I bring Dr. Don DeYoung to my broadcast table. Don recently retired as the head of the science department, 
located there at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He is an author of a number of books. He's an astronomer. And by the way, I was talking about his books. One of them is entitled Astronomy and the Bible, Questions and Answers from God's Word About Astronomy. I'm going to actually ask Don a couple of questions as it relates to what his book is all about. But first, Don, and by the way, great to have you. Hadn't talked to you since last year. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to join you. Thank you, sir. What motivated, Don, this conversation was we received an email question from one of our listeners, the question directed to you, Dr. Don DeYoung, Ph.D. in astronomy, and a frequent guest on our program. He says in the email, if God finished his creative work on day six of creation, why are stars still being formed? From the view that he is able to glean from YouTube, he said, they seem to have photos of gas clouds that are forming rotating disks, which appear to have a new star inside of them. Now, that's his question, Don. I'm giving it to you. I do not have an answer, so you're the man. We're going to you. What would you say to this listener to the broadcast? Well, thank you, and questions are certainly appreciated. So the thought is, are stars being created today? It's a good question. Let me give you a a couple of thoughts. First of all, when God creates, it's from nothing. It's supernatural. God spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be light, and there it was. That kind of thing is not happening anywhere today. This universe was made and is complete, and it's kind of been coasting ever since the week of creation. So real creation, in the sense by God's Word, is certainly uh, not happening today. Now, the second thought, when it comes to these stars, gravity holds stars together. Our our sun is a, a sphere of gas, but gravity keeps it from, you know, from dissipating. Well, In space, we do see vast gas clouds. We call them nebula. And in some cases, perhaps some parts of these gas clouds are collapsing to form new stars. This is not creation because the material is already there. It's almost like a tree growing from a seed. Now, at the same time, uh, gas clouds are large. And from the physics we know, To actually form a new star from a gas cloud would require hundreds of thousands of years. And because of that, we do not see any new stars popping into existence or turning on. In a recent creation, in fact, Jimmy, no new stars have formed since the creation week. But what we do see are stars in a great variety. Some interpret these some stars as old and some young and in various states of growth. And again, during the uh, human history, we've not seen a lot of change. So you can see a gas cloud and a star perhaps in the midst of formation, but I would expect that's pretty much uh, what it looked like also back during the creation week as well. So to actually form a new star would take much more time than we've had available. So it's a little bit uh, uh, misleading when the news says we see new stars forming. No, we really just see stars in all the different forms that God made. Of course, 
what we know from God's absolute word. And it was that fourth day of creation that stars actually were put into the heavenlies with the spoken voice of Jesus Christ doing that. Well, I'm going to take now some questions about stars from your book, Don. Let me suggest you might want to get a copy of Don's book. It's entitled Astronomy and the Bible, Questions and Answers. It's available at my website in the Prophecy Bookstore, prophecytoday.com, the website address. In your book, you answer the question, what is a star? I think you referred to that when you were talking about the sun, which is basically a star. But help us get an understanding, a definition, what is a star? Yes, and our sun is a good example. It's uh, an average-type star. Many stars are smaller than the sun. Other ones are larger. What these are are spheres of gas, and gravity has caused the collapse down to the, their shape. And because of the pressure inside a star, um, energy forms. It's called nuclear fusion. This is what powers the sun. And so it's very hot, millions of degrees inside, inside a star. So again, gravity holds them in place. And they are just a bright, shining light, 24-7. They, they, never, they never turn off. That's because our sun is so, so steady as well. So uh, the interesting thing is, Jimmy, uh, we have not been able to uh, harness or control nuclear fusion on Earth. And yet God does this daily in all the stars throughout space. And uh, what fascinating um, light source that is, providing energy to us. So that's a star, a large uh, uh, gas ball shining brightly. Don, are each and every star different than the other? Well, yes. There are really no two stars identical to each other. They have different kinds of chemical composition. Now, all the stars certainly have a large amount of hydrogen and helium. Those are the most abundant gases in, in the universe. But traces of other kinds, it's amazing, uh, Jimmy, our own sun looks like small in the sky, but it's about a million miles in diameter a bigger distance than many people have traveled in their lifetime. And inside the sun, there would be more gold than there is on the entire Earth, more platinum, more everything. The sun is just uh, so large, it would have a, a vast uh, reservoir of chemicals in it. But yes, they're all different. And stars have different temperatures, different pressures, different compositions. In the same way, you know, we could say that every uh, grain of sand is different. Every kernel of corn, it's just the endless variety that God has put in the sky. Every star is different. And on on that fourth day of creation, at the time of creation, how many stars did the Lord Jesus create? Well, no one knows that, uh, Jimmy. And every year, new telescopes show further and further into space. And really, we see more stars. We see more galaxies. But for a number, the amount that we have actually um measured, now this is by statistics, but we, the number of observed stars would be uh, one followed by 22 zeros. In words, that'd be 10 billion trillion stars, which means there'd be many stars for every person on Earth. So uh, right. again, 10 to the 22 power would be the known stars, but I am sure that that is the first drop in the bucket, that there are many, many more. In fact, Jimmy, you know, there may be an infinite number of stars. We do not see any end of the universe, and I'm sure an infinite God could make a universe beyond anything we can imagine. I'm absolutely convinced that is the case. There's an interesting phrase 
pertaining to a star, a particular star. It may be one particular star. I'm not sure, but I want to ask you about it. That phrase is the bright and morning star. It's used throughout the Bible. Can you explain that term? Well, yes. Uh, I think that term, the uh, bright and morning star, is a picture. It's really a symbol of, of the Lord Jesus. And the parallel is we do have bright morning stars. We have, for instance, the planet Venus, which besides the moon and sun is the brightest thing that's in our sky. And sometimes that's in the morning or sometimes in the evening. And it's almost like the Bible writers have picked up on that familiar object in the sky and uh, symbolizing that, of course, for the Lord Jesus, a light far beyond anything, but also called the bright morning star as if it's new light, as if it's new hope for us. You were talking about Jesus. I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, where Jesus said, I am the bright and morning star. That's pertaining to the future. Do you not think that's the case, Don? Well, certainly. You know, uh, God is light. That's one good description. And it's interesting, Jimmy, even to think about the future day in the New Jerusalem. It says there'll be no need of the sun because the light of the Lord will give light. So I don't know what that new world will be like, but uh, that bright morning star will will be there and uh, will have heavenly light. What a great conversation. Very interesting because I am one of those stargazers that you motivated to go out and look up into the evening sky and look at the stars, the representation of the glory of God. Great book entitled Astronomy and the Bible by Don DeYoung. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, the Prophecy Bookstore. You can make a purchase of that book. Your questions will be answered. Don, thank you so much. Great conversation. Appreciate it throughout this year. I'm sure we'll have other conversations as well. Thank you, Jimmy. Good talking to you. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, David James is standing by. One more broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. David James standing by for a very important conversation. Keep the dial set right where it is. Please, this afternoon after the broadcast, go and answer my poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. Here's the question. Even with all the controversy and chaos in Washington, do you believe that the Lord is still in charge and will have all of this happening today lead to God's will being fulfilled? Now, that's the poll question. If you will, please answer it. And by the way, not this weekend, but next weekend, we'll be in Calhoun, Georgia at the Heritage Baptist Church. Pastor Shane Parrott inviting you to come join us January 17, 18 and 19. We now bring to these microphones David James. He's the partner, the broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today that joins me on a weekly basis to have a conversation, basically a conversation about an issue that may be confronting the body of Christ, the church, each of us as Christians that we need to have a biblical perspective of. And because of our worldview, our understanding of Bible prophecy, I do believe we bring to the table biblical principles that are key 
in these discussions. Today we're going to be discussing the national situation, the elections, the president, the Congress, and the protest. Now, that's going to be a lot to unpack, but we're going to do it as we do have our conversation with David James today. However, before we start that discussion today, there was a very interesting question, David, that came in from one of our listeners concerning his identity and role in the millennial kingdom since he is partially Jewish or comes from a Jewish background. Tell us the question he asked and give us the answer, if you will. Sure, Jimmy. Well, it was a great question, and we may have briefly touched on this in the past, but I don't think we dealt with it too much. Here's what our listener had to say. Jimmy, while watching your video, Kingdom Come, being part Jewish on my mother's side, and she was also saved, my question is this. Will I be with the Jews after the kingdom comes or elsewhere with the saved Gentiles, the church? So, Jimmy, let me rephrase his question just a bit. As a partly Jewish believer in Christ, will he be considered Jewish concerning his role in the kingdom, or will he be considered as part of the church along with Gentile believers? Now, this is a matter of debate among dispensationalists, and you and I have discussed that. And the question is, do ethnic Jews have a single or a dual identity in the church? So some dispensationalists say that they have both a Jewish and Christian identity, both now and in the kingdom. But you and I would say that, no, their identity has been transferred into the body of Christ and is exclusively as Christians, making their function as the bride of Christ and thus the queen in the kingdom, and not as part of Israel. And we say this because of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man, and that's the key phrase, one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. So as an ethnic Jew, Paul isn't saying that this is better or worse for ethnically Jewish Christians. It's just different. You know, I have used that same particular verse, David, when I was in a meeting and were confronted by a Jewish believer. And boy, they would almost get mad at me. But it's not our opinion. That's what the Word of God. I'm so glad you used that particular passage of Scripture. It's absolute and it is the Word of God. Well, before we get to our main topic again today, I also want to let our listeners know about an interesting interview that we were a part of earlier this week, related to our friends, if you will, David. Sure. Well, a few weeks ago, I received an email from a reporter for the New York Times who had heard our discussion about the pandemic and the vaccine. Now, she is a national correspondent on religion, faith, and values for the New York Times, and she was working on a story about prophetic ministries and charismatic Christianity more broadly, with a focus on how believers are processing the pandemic and looking ahead to the vaccine. So she misunderstood, based upon the name of the Prophecy Today ministry, and so she didn't realize that our focus is on biblical prophecy 
prophecy rather than being a modern-day prophetic ministry. So I explained this to her in an email, where we are theologically and how we've been approaching the pandemic. And being a Wheaton College grad, uh, she understood and was still interested in getting our perspective. So on Monday, we had about an hour-long conversation, which I thought went well, and I thought it was a great opportunity, even though the New York Times isn't known for being friendly toward conservatives. And she said the article would come out in a few weeks. And, dear friends, we will keep you posted. In fact, we'll most likely post that article on the homepage of prophecytoday.com. So stay tuned. We'll see what does result out of that conversation that David and I had with this reporter from the New York Times. Well, David, moving into our topic for today, we have been witnessing some very troubling things over the last 12 months as it seems that the United States basically is descending into chaos, which even has continued into the events of this last week. Talk about that. Well, unfortunately, I have to agree with you, Jimmy, and everyone knows that 2020 was a very tough year, and although I'm generally an optimist, uh, I'm also a realist, I think, and I've been saying for weeks that I've been concerned that 2021 could be even worse, but I didn't think things would go south so quickly as we've seen this week, although I guess we knew that Tuesday and Wednesday had that potential with the Georgia senatorial runoff and Wednesday's uh, electoral vote confirmation in Congress. But then with the march and the rally that also started on Wednesday, and especially with the breach of the Capitol, with theft and looting and damage, and with four dead, and now a Capitol officer has died, it wasn't good. And I don't know where this is all going. And on Wednesday evening, as I was interacting on Facebook, I wondered out loud if we may have passed the tipping point. And the fact is, Jimmy, that people all across the country are tired, they're frustrated, and, and we aren't on a good trajectory. People have been locked down, they have been isolated and sick, and some have had their businesses and livelihoods destroyed, and some have lost loved ones. And there are health and financial concerns and moral and other religious concerns and social and political concerns, and, and on and on it goes. David, I believe it goes without saying that uh, it's been a chaotic start to the new year. So let's stop and talk about the protest on Wednesday. From our previous discussions, I'm sure that every one of us knows sometimes on Facebook, as a part of your preparation for our segment on the broadcast, you go there to see what you can glean from those who may be on Facebook. Did you do that this week? Yeah, I did, and I posted on Wednesday evening uh, asking for input and ended up with over 250 comments so far. Most were very balanced, and most had no problem with the rally or the march, but there were serious concerns with the breach of the Capitol, which was a federal crime, and there was deep concern of what this means for America. Some say Antifa infiltrated the pro-Trump crowds, but honestly, I haven't found clear evidence of that, although some I witnesses claimed there was. Some said a tattoo on the hand of someone in the Capitol building was a hammer and sickle, but I did deeper research and found out it was actually an unrelated symbol from a video game. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. I did see evidence of QAnon and Proud Boys influence, but some say the Proud Boys aren't far right, even though all the articles I found say they are. So, Jimmy, 
mean, it's just a mess trying to find the truth anymore. And one problem is that when you start moving toward the extremes of the left or right, they often have their own agenda, and the violent tactics are basically the same, and neither side represents the majority of peaceful Americans. Uh, I received an email from uh, Paul Barreca, who is one of uh, our ABI co-founders, and he wrote this. I think many protesters arrived on Wednesday morning with zero intention of storming the Capitol. They got caught up in the fervor of the moment, highly emotional because of what they view as a stolen election that the courts refused to examine, and I share that opinion. It was like some of the George Floyd protesters who allowed their emotion to lead them to follow the Antifa agitators. And, Jimmy, I don't think the president was always helpful in this situation, although he he did concede the election on Thursday. I like what Paul had to say, and I appreciate uh, Paul as a pastor and then as a leader of a mission operation, being able to speak about these issues as well. Well, let's move now to the elections, David. The Georgia runoff changes the balance of power in the United States Senate, and early Thursday morning, the confirmation of the Electoral College vote apparently settles the presidential election. What are your thoughts, David, on how this could affect the life for believers in our country, especially in the next year? Well, Jimmy, I think this marks a potential seismic shift given the current political and social atmosphere in this country, and it doesn't bode well for believers or social conservatives in general. I've said a number of times this week, as I said earlier, that this may have been a tipping point. As I noted in our discussion last week, Joe Biden has said clearly that he's planning to undo many of President Trump's policies, and a major area is foreign policy, so I can't imagine that Israel won't be in the crosshair. Kamala Harris is viewed by some as the most liberal senator in Congress, and now with the 50-50 Senate split, that means she'll now be the tiebreaker every time, and that's in the unlikely event that all Republicans vote along party lines. And with the Democrats fully in control, it could get very rough for Christians, at least until the 2022 midterms. And many are skeptical that Joe Biden will finish out his term. And if he resigns or becomes incapacitated, the vice president automatically becomes the president of the United States. And thinking about the role of the vice president, uh, Mike Pence came under a lot of fire from some who said he caved to the left at best and that he's a traitor at worst because of the certification of the Electoral College vote. But, Jimmy, the 12th Amendment didn't give him the power to intervene, and procedures going back to 1857 solidified that. And in an op-ed, conservative Congressman Dan Crenshaw affirmed this, and I just heard Trey Gowdy say the same thing on Friday. Very interesting comments from two men, one a present congressman, the other previously a congressman, but both very, very knowledgeable of how the political arena works. David, I know we've talked uh, about this a lot over the past year, but I also know that many of our listeners cannot catch us each and every week. So how then do we keep biblical perspective as we deal with a world that seems to be basically spinning out of control? 
Well, years ago, I read a book, Balancing the Christian Life, by Charles Ryrie, and I think it was helpful in a time like this to trying to find a balance because we can move to extremes, and uh, we are moving through a minefield in this pandemic with uh, social unrest and the political craziness. Jesus said to be wise as serpents but innocent as doves. So on the one hand, Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. But in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John had been arrested for preaching, they said, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot speak but the things that we have seen and heard. So the default position is to obey. We're to pray for those in authority that they might be saved and that we might live in peace. And as a friend wrote on Facebook on Friday, as Christians, we're to blame for the national mess we're in, for we have left the light of Christ and let his word grow dim in our culture. I like that you mentioned Charles Ryrie's book, The Balanced Christian Life. I read that book as well many years ago. May I suggest if you're listening to this conversation, you might want to try to find it. Balancing the Christian Life by Dr. Charles Ryrie would be a great read for each of us at this time in history. David, thank you. You did a great job in preparing for our conversation. I felt like it went very well. And in fact, some of you may want to go back and re-listen to what we had to say. You can do that by going to my website, prophecytoday.com. David, thank you. We'll have another issue to deal with next week. Looking forward to that. Thanks. I'll look forward to it as well. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when I come back, I'll have a Bible in front of me. I'll open it up. We'll take a look at the book covering all the issues that we covered with our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, all of my broadcast partners had great reports with five of the six weighing in on the political events unfolding around the world. That other broadcast partner, Don DeYoung, helped us to get our focus off of this world and focus on the stars, which, of course, are a display of the glory of the Lord. Each of these reports spoke to the issues of today and how they may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I want to take some time to give you my prophetic perspective on each of these reports. If you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, there to Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can re-listen to any of the reports, or if you missed a report, you can listen to the ones you had to miss. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and once you find it, send that link to a friend or a family member so that they will be able to hear what our broadcast partners had to say on these different events unfolding in our world. Now for my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical events in our world, and Ken had many things to say about what unfolded in Washington this last week. But the last issue that we covered was China, and that was what caught my attention very, very interesting. Remember, China is a major player today and will be in the prophetic future as well, and that will be in the unfolding of the events foretold in Bible prophecy, basically in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. And that's found in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. I would just exhort all of us to continue to be China watchers in light of what God's word said they will be involved in in the last days. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update, a key report for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And he talked about the Palestinians warning about the Jews getting ready to build a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. As I said, Dave's Middle East News update was inclusive of all that's happening in that part of the world, but also a very important report, which is very significant as it relates to the end-time scenario, the Palestinian people warning that the Jews are ready to build a temple on the Temple Mount. Remember, Bible prophecy tells us that that is true. Two temples in the future, the Messiah's temple, which Jesus Christ will build, and the tribulation temple, 
That's the first one. Next in that seven-year period of time, all the preparations for that temple are in place as of today. John Rood covers the European Union for us. He talked about what a United Kingdom political leader said about no European Union within 10 years. That political leader is partly right. There will be no European Union, but instead a revived Roman Empire. That's Daniel 7, Revelation 13, and 17. The 27 member states of the European Union must be reduced to fulfill Bible prophecy. And that happens to be the direction that the European Union seems to be moving toward. Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, talked to me about the fact that even in chaos in our nation's capital, God's plan for human government is still in play for the days ahead. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, the establishment of human government is still an absolute, as also is the case with Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. All leadership is ordained by God. He places everyone in authority. All we need to do is to allow God's plan for human government. We cannot be discouraged by God's plan for human government. But what we need to do is watch as he allows that plan to be played out. Then Don DeYoung came with an uplifting report for us. We were focusing on an answer to a question from one of our listeners about, is God still creating stars? And then we mentioned the morning star as well. My conversation with Don was so uplifting. It was once again a reminder that the stars display the glory of God. And by the way, that morning star is Jesus Christ. He is coming prayerfully very, very soon. David James and I had a conversation, a biblical perspective on the chaos and controversy in this world today. You know, we must not allow current events to discourage us. I just said that, but it's worth saying again, what we must do is focus on the Word of God. He is still in charge, and he has a plan that we must join, a plan that must be joined by us as we move into the future. Let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, there to Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can re-listen to any of the reports if you missed a report, you can listen to the ones you had to miss. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And once you find it, send that link to a friend or a family member so that they will be able to hear what our broadcast partners had to say on these different events unfolding in our world. Each of these reports add to the evidence that we are very close to the next event on God's calendar of activities. That would be the rapture, when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and we will be caught up to meet him in the air. In all of the chaos and controversy that we see in this world today, 
the rapture is our blessed hope. We must trust the Lord that he is in charge and will send Jesus for that rapture, maybe even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.